passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Long and Winding Royal Road. Uh, it's this Episode 7. This is actually our first episode of 2021, and uh, we're not recording in 2021. We, you know, I tend to record these things about a month in advance, so it's still 2020, but by the time you listen to this, it'll be 2021, and, and hopefully 2021 is going to be a lot better than 2020. <laughs> you know, the vaccine's out there. I'm going to get vaccinated when I can. You know, you get the, there's a priority. People are ahead of me in the line. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But maybe it's going to be okay. But this is episode seven. And, um, you know, we say about the long and winding road road that it's a look back at the the all Japan pro wrestling era of the 1990s. But we're going to stretch that a little bit because we're going to look at a match from the year 2000. But it's okay because it's before what we call the exodus, before Misawa takes 99% of the roster with him to form Pro Wrestling Noah. So it, it's still, you know, that era, the Four Pillars era. And, and joining me today to talk about this match, is, and the person who picked this match is, is Ed Cody from Pod Van Dam. And Ed, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing great, but now I am now I feel the pressure. because I, I, I mean, I knew it was the first episode of 2021, but now I feel like it's up to us to, because 2020 was so bad, we got to start off 2021 well. Like, it's a lot of pressure. It, it it is I suppose I don't know like I I I I, I don't think like magically January is going to make make everything less shitty in the world you know I mean I imagine hopefully by I'm hoping for by the time June rolls around that it's going to be a little less shitty than than 2020 but I'm, hope, I'm hoping by June I can go to a wrestling show and feel safe and that's all I'm really well I mean I'm back in North America so I I don't know if I'd feel safe going back to a, a <laughs> independent wrestling show in toronto <laughs> as opposed to going to like you know a show in cork and hall or you know shinkiba first ring or or budokan hall or or you know sumo hall wherever like the, 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 japan's a wonderful place to watch professional wrestling live um north america nah, not so much <laughs> you know i'll be honest you know like i've i tend to call it you know what i call wrestling matches in you know independent wrestling matches um in 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 in, in north america ed I call it Dar. I call it Darwin's waiting waiting room. <laughs> you know, because like you know, you see you see some of the people surrounding you. Like not everyone's like this, but I'm gonna say, you know, to be fair, maybe a good fifty percent is like, yeah, you know, missing a chromosome here or there. You know, <laughs> some of you people. You know, I don't know. You know, some of the some like some some somewhere along the way, their their social skills got severely stunted. Like Darwinism for like just you know how they their personalities evolved just didn't take you know so darwin's waiting room that's what i call going to an independent show sometimes it's so good 
But if you you know if you're offended by that, then maybe there's you know people say W H that shouldn't say stuff like that. You, that's not nice. It's like hey, if you took offense to that, you should look at yourself rather than be uh, blaming me about anything I'm saying. Yeah, I think it speaks more to you as a person if that's offensive. <laughs> yes, because if you if you're like me, normal. And then you also recognize that going to an independent wrestling show in North America is like going to Darwin's waiting room. Then you're probably normal. You know, like you probably got all your, your social skills intact and evolved and, and things like that. But I, I don't want to get into this, like, you know, sociology kind of uh, discussion. <laughs> we're, we're here to talk about professional wrestling, which, you know, means we're, we are stunted in our own ways, you know, here, Ed. Uh, but let, let's talk about you first. Uh, let, let the listeners know a bit about yourself. Uh, you are part of uh, a group of people who do a, a podcast called Pod Van Dam. Obviously, it's 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 a, it's a homage to Rob Van Dam. Yeah, it actually started out. Uh, there was this podcast called What a Maneuver that was going over the Monday Night uh, Wars, like before Brian and Vinny, I'm even sure. And then I asked the question that like no one else had for obvious reasons, or like why is no one doing this for ECW on Sci-Fi? So we started doing that, and then we found out nobody cares about it, and it switched over to uh, now we cover the news of wrestling Twitter for the week. And yeah, it's so- been a fun one this year. It's been great, really uplifting. <laughs> well, I'm looking at uh, the, the, your Twitter account, and I'm looking at the bio here. Welcome to the cesspool. Yeah, uh, we, it's, it, which it was very apt this year. It was Covering the week that was on wrestling Twitter and new episodes every Monday, and I'm just like wondering, uh, why would you why would you do that to yourself? Um, I actually really love it, and I think that speaks to me as a person. Where like I don't know, like these people are fascinating to me, like Rover and Bix, and like people that are big on <laughs> like it's a, it's such a niche of a niche you know what i mean and it's like i don't know it's very fascinating until this year where it became very sad i well yeah it's uh wrestling twitter you know when 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 the world is normal is a kind of a a terrible place to be on nowadays it's like it's just you know at the height of the pandemic it was just like wow terrible news after terrible news during the the height of like you know speaking out terrible news after terrible news and just some horrible takes and mainly from people in within the wrestling industry, which is yeah. really, really sad to say, but um, like what, what, what is a typical week for you? Like you and your partners? Um, we go over, well, we start over with the cesspool segment. We talk about the news of wrestling Twitter, which hopefully always involves uh dunking on Cody hall. We're pretty big fans of that. And like, there's things that just keep coming up. Like this whole year has been really smooth brain uh, takes on COVID and politics. So that's been fun. And then we have at the end, we have like a call in segment where uh, we put out like a question of the week and people call in. And then like uh, we have this one regular caller that's very weird named Tyler's dad. And he's like this mysterious dude from West Virginia that despite being from West Virginia is very woke. It's uh, it's pretty weird. He's been calling in for like a year and a half now. And that's been pretty bizarre every week. What are, you, what are you trying to say about the people of West Virginia? <laughs> I mean, I'm Canadian, so I don't know. But like, I'm sure uh, it's uh, it's. I'm sure the people listening to this from West Virginia are fine, but it's it's uh it's the South, pretty much. It's like you I wouldn't expect someone from West Virginia to be calling in and like quoting the Tribe Called Quest and talking about like uh, healthcare for everybody. And well, I mean, I think you know people all across the world you know, let alone, you know, Southern United States, like, you know, you have your people who are, you know, I guess fit a stereotype and you have the people who will pleasantly surprise you. So, you know, that's great that Tyler's dad is one of the, uh, 
the pleasantly surprising people. That's that's really nice to hear. Um, but yeah, so let's talk a bit about your fandom and like how did you get started with wrestling in general and like how did you become a fan of all Japan pro wrestling? Okay, so wrestling in general, uh, we got cable when I was a small boy in 1997, and I put on an episode of Raw, and I watched this strange man in a brown costume with a leather mask and a guy that was like bald and drinking beer and reminding me of my Uncle Rick be mean to him. And then later, that man came out dressed as a hippie, and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, and I, I should devote a large portion of my life to it. So, uh, yeah, ever since then, it was like, I watched WWF and WCW and all that. And then when that went away, I like got internet and then I became more hip to other things. But all Japan came when uh, WWE and TNA weren't doing it for me anymore. And I got into new Japan around the time, like Nakamura, I think came back from Mexico and like got that big run. And uh, I was just searching out whatever I could. And I was searching out Minoru Suzuki matches and I found Suzuki and Akiyama from Noah. And then that got me into Jun Akiyama. And then that got me into nineties all Japan. Okay, so that being said, like you're the one who who uh, you, I think you contacted me in the DMs. You wanted to do you wanted to do something about specifically Gene Akiyama, um, but I I think you wanted because I think you had heard the Masawa biography episode and you were like, oh, I'd be interested in doing like the Akiyama one. But I I had already kind of like slotted some of these these kind of biography episodes with certain people, so I said, oh, but we can you know that's already taken. I'm you know sad to say, but. Maybe we could do a Jun Akiyama match, and you and you picked this one. And and tell us which match we're going to talk about today, Ed. We are talking about Jun Akiyama versus Mitsuharu Masawa from February twenty seventh of two thousand. Yeah, so like I said, we're stretching the kind of the the boundaries of the show. Where we're not in the nineteen nineties anymore; we're in the two thousands. But like I said, it, it's before the the Exodus, before Pro Wrestling Noah pretty much decimates the, the roster of all Japan pro wrestling. And, and let's talk a bit about Jun Akiyama. What is it about him that captures, like, I guess your, your imagination? I think like it's, uh, well, the, well, I've gotten to him first in Noah and like the aesthetic of him just being kind of a bastard man in Noah, I really liked. And uh, when I went back and like, re- like saw him in all Japan and researched that, I kind of like that he is the, he's like the fifth beetle. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I think he's better. <laughs> Man, I'm going to get heat for this. I think he's the best out of all of them. Like, Junakiyama just hits for me. And I don't I don't really know why. So, like, so you're saying, like, of, of the four pillars of Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, Tawe, and maybe including even Stan Hansen, that, that Junakiyama is the best, your, is your favorite wrestler of all of them. You think he's yes. the best wrestler of all Like, what, what is it about Akiyama that, that you think makes him better than, say, Kendo Kobashi? Um, I think it's because I got to, so when I got into Akiyama, I got to see like old man Akiyama first. And it reminds me a lot of like, when you go back and watch like nineties Jumbo Saruta, where he's just like this old man that beats the shit out of people. And I really, really got into that. Uh, and then Akiyama, I like a lot because, uh, he's, he's very much like a good, like an amazing tag team guy, you know? And like, I really, really, really love tag team wrestling. So I, I definitely leaned more towards Junakiyama when I was like discovering all this stuff. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, like we can talk about a bit about his background. I want to talk a little bit about kind of like the, the way the company is at this time. So, you know, just for a bit of 
background and context, like we have to keep in mind that uh, Giant Baba had passed away the, the previous year on January thirty first, nineteen ninety nine, and then Masawa had you know el- been elevated within the company as being the, the president and the booker of the company. So he took over like two of the three roles that that Giant Baba had in the company, but he didn't take over the most important role really in the, the in the grand scheme of things. And that's and that's the owner, and that 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 role went to Giant Baba's widow Motoko Baba. And, you know, the problem there is that Matoko Baba and Mitsuharu Masawa hated each other. They did not get along. And so, you know, Masawa, right off the bat, you know, is fighting kind of this uphill battle to kind of like, you know, see his vision through with with the company as president and booker. And he he also is the, the ace of the company still. He's still like the, the main event guy. He's the one um, being counted on to carry the main events and put his body through a lot of punishment. And one thing we have to keep in mind is like, you know, even at this stage in his career, he's, he's thinking about like, okay, you know, me, Kawada, Tawe, Kobashi, we're, 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 we're really banged up. We've been banged up for the last five years, pretty much. And we need to think about the future of this company, of this promotion. And like the, the person like that, that was obviously going to take over Masao's spot as the future ace of this company. Like at this point, like Kobashi is, is pretty much, Kenna Kobashi is pretty much going to be the guy after Masawa. And probably like Toshiaki Kwa is still going to be like the 1B, you know what I mean? And like Masao is probably thinking in the next three years, he's going to be the 1C. And Kobashi is going to be the 1A because that's what happens in Noah, right? Like Kobashi eventually becomes the 1A during that massive title run he has with the GHC heavyweight title. So, but the guy who's going to take over in about five years, six years time is, is Akiyama. And with him, you can see like, you know, the push coming for people like Takao Mori, for Yoshiro Takayama, for Manokea Mossman, who later become Taiokea. So it's these people. And, and you know that Masawa is looking at the junior heavyweight guys he has in the company thinking oh my god i i can now probably challenge new japan's supremacy in the junior heavyweight wrestling scene in japan with the guys i have marafuji uh, kenta uh yoshinobu kanamaru you know uh, takashi sugera all these people are, are waiting the wings so he's he's wanting to like you know make that happen he's gonna you know face himself slowly down the card because that's what happened before him with jumbo right and that's what happened with before Jumbo with with Baba and all the people of Baba's generation is gets phased down. So, but he's got to deal with all this political backlash and and, and strife with with Mrs. Baba. So we we got to keep that in mind here. And, and like we talk about kind of the background of this match. Um, any thoughts about like the that kind of situation there, Ed? So I have a question. So at this time, like the time this match happens, uh, Matoko Baba and Masawa. Not at all getting along, right? No, no. <laughs> it's just so mind blowing because, like, when I got into like Noah and All Japan, uh, reading about the Exodus and like the Observer and everything, it was just like, can you imagine if that happened today? Like, if there was just a mass walkout of like WWE, <laughs> like they were just sick of Vince's shit and they were just gonna go start their own company. Uh, well, I mean, it could happen. I would that would be amazing to see, but um, not you know like. You know, they, they still hold like, you know, the monopoly in North America, you know, you know, even with, you know, the success of AEW, you still have, you know, Vince controls wrestling in, 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 in the mainstream, you know, consciousness of, of America and Canada and, and pretty much most of the world as well. But 
would that that would be interesting to see. But Japan is a lot different because you'll you'll see a lot of people in the history of Japanese wrestling break off from their promotions and create like their own you know their own groups. And you know this before Masawa did this with Pro Wrestling Noah. You had Tenru did it with you know uh, Super World Sports, which later became you know WAR, and you had you know Shin Hashimoto form you know Zero One and tons of other things like you know all the stuff with the uwfi and, and and pancreas and not maybe not pancreas rings and and all that stuff with the kira maeda and and what have you it, it's it's very very common to see like splinter groups created in in japan but you know we talk about akiyama uh so this is 2000 so eight years earlier he made his debut in 1992 and right away like people have said like dave Meltzer has said like you know Akiyama is one of those guys who took to wrestling right away, was an excellent pro wrestler from the very start of his career. The only, like, one of the other people that was like that in, in Dave Meltzer's opinion was, was Kurt Angle. And, you know, like, you can see a lot of parallels with, like, kind of the, 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 the evolution of Akiyama as a wrestler to, like, Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle's evolution from the time he debuted on TV and to, like, the time he becomes, like, a megastar by, I guess, around the same time in 2000. Yeah, isn't the other person Meltzer says, like, isn't it Segura from Noah? Like, all of these dudes just took to wrestling super quick and understood it, like, right from the beginning. I th- it might be Segura. I, I usually think it's, it's uh, I always hear, like, it's Akiyama and, and Kurt Angle. So, you know, that's that's saying a lot that, you know, someone who, who has followed wrestling and covered wrestling to the extent that Dave Meltzer has is, is like, comparing, like, Kurt Angle and Akiyama like together as guys who who understand professional wrestling, you know, from the early starts of their career. So, you know, one one thing that really helped make Akiyama, uh, you know, like a star in all Japan, and like eventually, you know, like the fans were going to take to him as being the new ace of the company was that he was paired with you know two of the four pillars that is in regular tag teams the first was of course Misaharu Masawa his opponent in this match and the second uh would be the partner he had at this time which was Kenta Kobashi and they formed the the awesome tag team one of my favorite tag teams in all Japan history and that's and that's the team of Burning do you like that version of Burning more than the comeback version of Burning when uh Akiyama came back to all Japan oh i i love that faction when that, you know, like when those guys left Noah and went to back to all Japan and like, you know, the tag team of, of, um, it was go, go Shizaki and Jun Akiyama was the new burning. Um, no, I don't, because they didn't, they didn't have like the chance to, to be a dominant tag team and, and have like the, the kind of matches that, you know, Kobashi and Akiyama had as a tag team. Like, like, look who, who they faced, like Akiyama and Kobashi faced against Misawa and Ogawa, against the Holy Demon Army, against different te- foreign foreigner tandems, including the, the people that they lost the tag team titles to. So at this point, like a week before, Kobashi and Akiyama are the world tag team champions in all of Japan. And and on February 20th, in a, in a match in Kobe, uh, Akiyama and Kobashi lost uh, the world tag team titles to the team of Vader and Steve Williams. What a hell of a team that is, right? Uh, and so that sets up you know this this match for the you know the triple crown title match that you know um no sorry this is not for the triple crown title match this is a semi-main event of a of a card at budokan hall the the triple crown champion is is vader and he's gonna fight face uh, kenna kobashi on the same card immediately after 
this match that we're going to talk about. But um, I want to talk a little bit about their kind of singles match history, Misawa and Akiyama. Ed. So their first singles match against each other was on September 6th, 1997. So five years you know, into Akiyama's career, he's getting a triple crown shot against uh, Mitsuharu Misawa. And uh, of course, he comes up short in that. Uh, do you know when their second match was? Second match was in January of 98, right? Yes. And that, again, was another triple triple crown title match, which, you know, like Akiyama lost, of course. And then their third match was on April 18th, 1998. This was the Champions Carnival Finals. And Misawa beat Akiyama in that. But I mean, it's awesome that Akiyama got to the finals, but he came up short in that match. And so, you know, we're, we're coming up on the fourth, their fourth singles match in all Japan. And Akiyama has never beaten Misawa. Yeah, Akiyama's got like a real Hiroki Goto thing, you know what I mean? Where he just can't win the big one. Well, I mean, it's deliberate, right? So Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, teasing the fans like, oh, he's almost there. He's almost there. He's almost going to get that win. Ah, oh, they take it away from him. Of course, he's, you know, he's won matches against, you know, other other people in tag matches and uh, like people of his generational, of his generation, his generational peers, he's beaten them. But he has he has yet to have that one you know victory over over Masao, which is like the you know win to have because you know regardless of who's the ch- the triple crown champion at this time, Ed, like you know Masao is the ace of the company. Yeah, Masao is that dude, and you got to like yeah. At this time, you have to. I mean, yeah, that win would be huge for him. But yeah, I, that's what I love about Japanese wrestling is like they make like they're building towards it for like what like five like three years is what like. He's getting closer and closer every time. He's getting closer. So their first singles match, again, 1997. So now we're in 2000. So, yeah, three years. Akama has never beaten Masao. So that's the backdrop of for this match. And let's talk about this card that's, that, that's, that this match is on. This is the uh, semi-main event of uh, uh, the uh, Day 11 of the 2000 Excite Series Tour. It's being held at the, you know, the... The, kind of like the the home of all Japan pro wrestling, the Nippon Budokan. Uh, the attendance that's listed here is sixteen thousand three hundred people. Uh, I don't know how how accurate that would be um, because you know you know Japanese companies have this tendency to like you know lie about their attendance, <laughs> uh, especially at this period. So well, I I can see probably it's maybe over ten thousand people in here, but is it sixteen thousand three hundred? Who knows? It could be. It could be a legit attendance. You know, like, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how like every Japanese company does that because like I follow Heat up pretty closely and I've seen shows where they've been like, "There's 80 people here," and it's like, "There's no, there's there's 30, there's 30," and I'm being generous. Well, I hope there's not you know 80 people during the pandemic oh, at, 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 at Heat Up show or anything like that. That'd be that'd be terrible. Heat but, Up is like one of the only ones running like no crowd still, and like I don't know, it's all right. I mean, that's probably the the safest thing to do. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't going to go to any shows during the pandemic, even in Japan. You know, like where they, you know, seemingly they they have it a bit better under control than in North America. But I didn't. I never thought going to a wrestling show was was worth you know you know risking my health. But but anyways, let's let's talk about this this card first. So you know, the first the first match on the card is a tag team match. It's Kentaro Shiga and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. The other members of Burning, and they defeat the team of Makoto Hashi and Masao Inoue. Uh, next up is a six-man tag team match. Uh, some familiar names here. Haruka Aigen, Masanobu Fuchi, who's still going strong today. 
uh, and Tsuyoshi Kikuchi, and they take on the team of Mitsuo Momoda, Rushi Kimura, and Takeshi Morishima. So this is kind of like the, the the comedy old guys, you know, six man tag mixed in with some of the some younger guys. Um, Number three match, tag team match, Daisuke Ikeda from Battle Arts and teaming with uh, Manukea Mossman. And they take on the team of uh, Naomichi Marafuji and Yoshinari Agawa, who are still wrestling. They're strong to this day in Pro Wrestling Noah. Uh, fourth match, tag team match, Takao Omori, Yoshihiro Takayama. No fear. They defeat the team of Jun Izumita and Taman Honda. Uh, the fifth match is a six-man tag team match. Akira Tawe, Stan Hansen, and Toshiaki Kawada taking on the team of giant kamala johnny smith and steve williams just to clarify it's giant kim Allah, not kamala so just so there's a it's the same gimmick just different people and then this leads us to uh you know our our sixth match which would be you know, the match we're going to talk about akiyama versus masawa but you know following that is uh, a triple crown title match it's kenna kapashi who defeats fader the triple crown champion to win the uh the triple crown from him in uh 19 minutes and 49 minutes i'm sure 49 seconds i'm sure someone's gonna pick this match down the line that's a that's a title change in kobashi i think he he lost i can't remember who vader beat vader beat misawa maybe and then kobashi defeated vader sorry i i don't have my notes for that but anyways that's that's the crowd card for this this show and you know there's a thing like you know like i just want to talk a quick quick uh, quickly about the the match guide ratings for cage match so this is rated 9.48 based on 66 votes from cage match uh dave melser gave it uh four and four and a quarter stars in wrestling observer Uh, so the kobashi vader match was rated uh 7.87 based on 22 votes so more people watched this match seemingly on cage match i don't have the wrestling observer rating for this but you know i mean I, I can't imagine Dave rating this less than, you know, four and a half stars. I read uh, the notes wrong at first, and I thought that uh, the six-man tag got a 9.48 and was four and a quarter. And I was like, wow, that's got to be the highest rated Giant Kamala match of all time. Like, this thing must be a banger. Yeah, I mean, who who would have thought that the chemistry Giant Kamala, Johnny Smith, and Steve Williams had would, you know, would would get, you know, that kind of a rating from, from Dave Meltzer. But no, it, it, it you, you read it wrong. It's Akiyama versus Masawa that gets the uh, the the four and a quarter star rating for this. I'll talk about my own my own rating for this as, as we uh, get to the uh, get closer to the end of the podcast. But but let's go into the match itself. Um we'll start off with the entrances. Akiyama comes out first to his awesome theme with the awesome name of Shadow Explosion. <laughs> you know what I noticed when he came out is that awesome ring jacket. Oh yeah, the blue one, the blue Yeah, what do you one? think of that? awesome i like i you know like kobashi has his orange one and you know when you see them as a tag team it's like you know their their aesthetics is you know their aesthetics are very similar in the type of gear they're wearing and and their jackets but you know like the great thing about all japan at this time is that everyone is color-coded yes you know? i was gonna ask as i was to say i don't know if anybody's asked you this before how you feel about color-coded all japan but i love it oh i i think it, it's great because you can easily distinguish who is who and remember who is who based on their colors that they wear. And like, I think that's, you know, something that could be, you know, brought back into, into wrestling in general. Like, I mean, you know, all Japan still kind of does that. Like Kento Mihara is, you know, associated with red, you know, um, 
Now he, maybe he's the only one who has a, he's, you know, everyone, a lot of people wear black in all Japan. So maybe it's something that needs to be brought back. Someone needs to be wearing yellow and, and, and like orange and purple and, and shit like that. Evolution's blue, or is that just my brain that's associated blue with like Suwama and all those dudes? Well, yeah, but like Suwama's gear isn't blue. He, his gear is okay. black. Yeah, you're right. right. I don't know why I think Evolution is blue. Well, I think they're like their t shirts and, and their, their logo is blue, but like Suwama's gear is usually black with some trims to it, but like it's usually black. So it, it's something that could be brought back. I, I really, I do prefer like people having distinct gear, like being color coded. I, I, think it really helps fans like you know like latch on and, and identify russ especially if you're new to a promotion you know yeah yeah it definitely helps okay and then of course next coming coming out next is mitsuhara masawa to his awesome classic theme of spartan x now and which one do you prefer shadow explosion or spartan x shadow explosion of course right like but yeah. you, gotta, you gotta you gotta say like you know spartan x is a is like you know you start listening to it and it's like you kind of like snap your fingers to it and stuff like that. It's really catchy. I think it's uh, I think Akiyama's is the second best uh, theme in Japanese wrestling history. Okay, I, I I'm gonna say that you know to, in wrestling in general, I think it's probably like I think Liger has the best theme. Like Juice and Thunder Liger is uh, it's just a classic. So I was thinking Hayabusa's. Hayabusa's is really good too. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's so many great themes a lot of the really really great themes i feel i'm biased of course is in in pro res but there you go uh we i want i gotta talk about the corner man so for akiyama in his corner are his fellow burning members yoshinobu kanamaru and who's wearing this awesome black burning t-shirt i i kind of want that next time i go to japan maybe i'm gonna try to track that down and and katara shiga Masawa's cornermen are Yoshinarigawa, his regular tag team partner, and and one of his apprentices, one Naomichi Marafuji. It's really cool when you go back to watch matches in this era, see who's like doing, you know, who's cornering people and and the the ring boys. And the ring boys for this match are are Kenta and Takeshi Rikio, which is kind of cool to see. Those jumpsuits are dope too. I'd like one of those. Oh yeah, I mean tracksuits are, are are a staple of Japanese pro wrestling in in every company. So um, I think recently it's a recent thing where like you know companies are, are saying, hey, you know maybe the the, the fans, the marks want to wear uh, like our tracksuits and pretend that that they're part of our company and we can milk them for more money. It's genius. I, I would yeah, I would definitely wear it and pretend to be an all Japan young boy. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd ever do that myself. <laughs> like, they're cool to look at, like, but would I wear one of the tracksuits? Uh, no. What about for around the house, like, just comfort? You no, know what I mean? it's like it's like you know belt marks, like you know these guys who bring like title belts to yeah. like shows. Belt. I hate those people because like it's like okay, you you're at uh, this independent show and you have like the WCW 1996 United States title replica. Why? You should have to defend it. I, I I think every wrestler who sees a belt mark should challenge them for the belt. That should be the rule. And if they, they lose, they have to give up, you know, this thing that they spent like a thousand bucks on to <laughs> some, some indie guy who's also like, you know, driving for UPS or something like that. <laughs> uh, that's not, that's, that should be the rule that, that maybe people would stop bringing their, their stupid replica belts to, to shows. But anyways, I don't want to get too, too negative. I want to get, <laughs> down this road but um let's get into the match itself um they start with this feeling out process and and they kind of quickly transition transition into an exchange of forums and and elbows to one another's faces so it's really it's it gets on you know like 
it gets to the to the like the heated point really quickly in this match, Ed. Yeah, and I like that. It, uh, like you think it's not, you know what I mean? Because that feeling out process, you're like, all right, it's gonna be a slow build, and then it's like definitely not. They trick you, you go right into it. It's nice. Yeah, like what do you think about like the kind of the stiff shots in in all Japan? I love it a lot. Uh, I love no selling stiff shots. We're gonna get to that later. I love a good no sell. Uh, yeah, I just like I like dudes hitting each other. It makes wrestling better for sure. Yeah, you know you don't like all the the flips and uh, like pretending and like you know people pretending that they're you know they're lazy and and, and all the comedy wrestling and stuff like that. See, this is the thing. I love comedy wrestling when it's done right. Like I think Kikutaro is one of the best wrestlers in the world because he very rarely has bad matches with people because he's good at it. So I think if you're good at comedy, it works. But if you're not, I, yeah, I don't want to see you try it. I'd rather see you really just hitting each other in the face pretty hard. My my thing with wrestling is like like listen, just just make me believe like I'm not watching something fake. Once once like you know people start thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna embrace the fakeness of professional wrestling it's like eh, it's not for me like if people enjoy it that's awesome it's it's just like i can't get into it but anyways continuing with this match uh you know misawa and akiyama start a sequence of going for moves but having each move countered until finally misawa catches akiyama with a drop kick that sends them to the outside and it's it's the sequence is like you know just kind of shows you and tells the the audience like these guys know each other they used to be tag partners and they've been rivals since akiyama left to to join up with kobashi so you know it kind of plays into the story that like you know you know like they have a history with one another yeah, and if you watch, like, all three matches, like, in a row, like a trilogy, right? Uh, like, all the matches leading up to it, you can see, like, Akiyama starts to get Masawa, like, more and more every time. He's, it's, it's kind of plays into this idea that, like, if, if wrestling is a real sport, that Akiyama has learned from all his previous matches with Masawa, and that maybe Akiyama has been watching tapes and thinking, okay, I gotta watch out for this. After he does this a lot, and when I do this, he does this. So it's really great because it makes you feel like you're actually watching something real. Yeah, they're telling stories out there. They are, and that's not a bad thing. It's it's no, a good no, thing. like no. it's and they mean it. It's not like when Vince McMahon says we tell stories, pal. It's like they're telling stories and they're good stories. Yeah, I mean, well, like Vince McMahon is, is thinks he's running a soap opera, not a, <laughs> a professional sporting contest. But but anyways, uh, Masawa follows up with an elbow from the apron to the floor. Uh, they go back in the ring, and Masawa continues to assault Akiyama with a flying lariat, a jumping senton, another elbow to the face. And then at this point, Masawa decides you know to slow the pace down a bit, and he locks in this really you know like solid looking rear chin lock. Yeah. Um... Earlier, right, there's this spot where Akiyama does a dive at Masawa, and Masawa just basically catches him and throws it like a big, like, fuck you toss off of, off of him, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's like, again, it's like they know each other yeah. so well, so it, it's really, it's, it's, it, it's like this thing where, like, you know, Akiyama is the younger guy, the young gun gunning for, you know, the established gunfighter in misawa he's like the sheriff of the town and like you know akiyama's like i want to be the uh, the new sheriff of in the town and so like but misawa's like no young young man you can go get fucked because i'm still i've still got a lot of fight left in me so it's you know it's that kind of struggle this kind of classic dynamic struggle between you know the the senpai in misawa who's a senior and and the kohai in in jun akiyama who's like the younger man it's just cool because like 
that's really dismissive, right? Misawa just throws him off of him, but then Akiyama does it later to him, like with that cross body, where Akiyama just throws him to the side. Oh yeah, we're we're gonna get to it's like so those, those kind of spot stuff. Yeah, it's it, it's again, it's the story of this match. Like they know each other so well. Uh, from here, Misawa gets Akiyama into a neutral corner. Where he just starts waylaying him with these elbows to the face, and then uh, he switches to elbows to the back of Akiyama's neck. So he's setting him up. He's setting him up for a variety of like his finishes. Uh, including the the Tiger Driver, the Tiger Driver, you know, ninety one, or maybe even his his uh, his you know dreaded face lock, which also you know goes after the neck. So it's it's part of you know Masawa's regular strategy is to to target people's like neck and and head to set up for like variety of his finishers. Yeah, it's cool because like uh, I was watching this match earlier, like today. Uh, and my girlfriend who knows nothing about wrestling is watching it, and she was very much like, "Why are why do the?" Because she, uh, her whole thing was like, "Masawa and Akiyama don't look tough." They kind, she said, they look like high school teachers, and I kind of get what she means. But then, yeah, as Masawa starts like working next, and like she kind of got it, she's like, "All right," which like that's cool. Like someone doesn't even understand wrestling at all is like understand the story of this match. I think. You know, people in Western culture, like when they think about professional wrestling, like they're conditioned to think like you have to be like, you know, jacked. You have to be, you know, shredded to be considered a professional wrestler. That's the way, you know, the sport has gone in since the 1980s, really. So, you know, even to this day, like we have a lot of people with different body types, but, you know, the prevailing idea, especially in the WB, is that you have to be, have like a six pack or an eight pack. You have to have like massive shoulders and, and biceps to, to be considered a top star in professional wrestling. But in Japan, it's never been that way. Like, you know, like, you know, let, let's put it, let's be honest, steroid culture has not necessarily been as prevalent. It doesn't, not to say it doesn't exist in Japan. Of course it does. It exists in every form of professional wrestling in any country, but it it never took off to the extent that it did in in, in North America, except with Zeus. Well, I, I like I said <laughs> it exists. I'm just saying it's not to the extent that you see. And I don't know that Zeus takes steroids. Like I, you shouldn't slander them. A great man like Zeus slander. I, I think it's so cool that he does. I'm gonna say. <laughs> well, I'm. I get. Let's let's disclaimer this, Ed. Like you don't know that he does. And neither do I. You're no, assuming. But, you're making an assumption there. But if he does, I think it's cool, and I think if it's he does, cool I'll say this: if he does, I wouldn't be surprised. But that could be natural. I don't know. He spends a lot of. He has his own gym, so he, he could be like there every day. You don't know. Neither do <laughs> I. But back to the match. Uh, Jun Akiyama fights back against Masao, but can't sustain his offense or get an advantage on him. Uh, that is, like you said, you mentioned this. That is until he catches Masawa, who's doing this diving elbow. Uh, from from the second rope, and and then Akiyama catches him and drives his face into the mat, and it's great. It's like, okay, now it's Akiyama's turn to fuck up Misawa. Yeah, and you see, like this is the moment Akiyama like it clicks with him, and he's got momentum on his side, and it's, oh, I love this whole story. So good. So from here, Akiyama hits his jumping knee. He has a great jumping knee. This is very, you know, like it's very different from Jumbo Saruta's, but it's it, it's obviously play, paying homage. A bit to, to Jumbo, who who you know, I'm like no, none of the four pillars really do a jumping knee, so it's it's really great to see Akiyama kind of bring this staple of of a uh, of a move back into the main event scene of All Japan, and then uh, this jumping knee actually sends Masawa out to the floor. From here, uh, Akiyama joins Masawa on the floor, and then but Masawa 
is able to reverse his fortune. He Irish whips Jin Akiyama into the guardrails and runs in to follow up. But Akiyama is able to catch him with a drop toe hold that sends Masawa throat first into the guardrail. And my God, this must have hurt. Like, Did you see how it bent? Like, it bent the guardrail. It bent the guardrail. I, did, I, I missed that detail. Well, hey... Like, hey, they're not fucking around when when they use guardrail spots in Japan, especially in, in all Japan pro wrestling. Uh, from here, Akiyama decides to, you know, fuck up Masao even more. He, you know, carries him into a fireman carry. And from that position, he tosses Masao a chin first into the guardrail, uh, which frightens a family in the front. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you saw the reaction of the mother and the and the young man and the young boy, but they were like, oh, they were like cringing and i i I think they they were legitimately you know fearing for masao's health and safety (laughs) i was questioning bringing your children to this event it's not like a it's a death match with like glass light tubes or or anything like that it's just you know people people just hitting each other really really hard like obviously the dad is a huge fan and maybe the mom is too and like they want their son to love you know king's road style as much as they do how could you not? How could you not after this match? Well, if you, if you, I, I assume you don't have children right now, Ed. Um, no, I do not. But when, when you have children, like I assume you're going to be taking them to professional wrestling shows when, when it's safe to do so. Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll try to. And now, are you going to take them to like, you know, shows that feature, you know, more straight ahead wrestling, or are you going to take them to like, you know, deathmatch wrestling? See, I don't know. The problem is I'm from Ohio, so our main company here is AIW, and I don't know that I would want to take a child to that. So I'd have to find some, like, shindy and see how they did. Like, make them dig wrestling from, like, the lowest level to see if they really like it. You uh-huh. know? Are you are you suggesting that AIW is an outlaw macho? I would, I would never. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you're listening. I would never say that. I honestly don't know because, like, I, I don't know if I've ever – I can't remember ever watching an AIW show, so I can't. Um, I can't say. A, Do they have death matches? It's in a bar. In a bar, and, okay. Uh, yeah, they have death matches. Like at the Collective, they did a barbed wire match. So, yeah. Uh, that's not, well, it sounds like an outlaw mud show to me. <laughs> you know, like Big Japan for wrestling and freedoms in Japan are outlaw mud shows. I guess you know GCW, AIW, outlaw mud shows. Like, oh. I just like that term. I I don't say it with the same disdain that. That Jim Cornette does. I just say it because it sounds funny. But anyways, uh, let's fo- let's go back to Akiyama versus Masawa. Not an outlaw mud show match. Uh, you know, Akiyama follows up the assault to Masawa by with kicks to Masawa's back, and this drives Masawa's chest into the rails. And he includes a jumping boot, like from the apron to Masawa's back, which is just like <laughs> you know, like obviously, like you know, like Mas- I said before, Masawa's you know kind of strategy is to attack. Akiyama's neck and head and to, to set up for like one of the tiger drivers maybe. Um, but also like, you know, you have to keep in mind that Akiyama's finisher, one of his finishers is the exploiter suplex and the rich wrist clutch exploiter suplex. So, and that's obviously targeting the, the head and neck as well. So that's what, you know, he's trying to soften up Masawa's, you know, body parts to set up for one of these, these moves. Um, uh, he follows up with several elbows to the back of Masawa's neck while Masawa is draped to, on the apron, uh, which leads into this amazing jumping knee drop to the back of Masawa's head, which I just like, oh man, Masawa, you know, he doesn't have to do any of this stuff, Ed. You know what I mean? He, no. but he does. He doesn't have to take any of these bumps, but, but he does. He, he's chose to let this man put his knee on the back of his head and drive him face first into a rail. 
because you have to keep in mind, Masawa is the booker and, and, and the, he's, he's put this match together. He's the president of the company. He's signing like Akiyama's check. So, you know, but Akiyama, like, again, this is the great thing about wrestling. It's like, oh, I don't have to take care of my boss. I just have to, you know, he's going to want me to beat the shit out of him. So I'm going to beat the shit out of my boss. It's, it's, you know, like you talk about Steve Austin. Oh, everyone, you know, lived out their fantasy through Steve Austin beating up Vince McMahon. Well, like, you know, Akiyama, like I would say Akiyama beat up Masawa a lot stiffer than Steve Austin ever beat up, you know, Vince McMahon, you know? I would say aside from that one bump Vince does to the table on his spine, that yeah, Masawa uh, one, 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 one big bump, big deal. Anyway, <laughs> uh, from here, Akiyama then does a kind of Terry Funk-like pile driver to Masawa to the blue mats outside, and yet yeah, they're 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 cushioned, but they're not that they're not that thicked. Like like you know, these blue mats are pretty thin. They're just kind of more there for the aesthetics, I believe. Yeah, and this is just a transition spot. This is just a thing they wanted to do. They're like, this isn't anywhere for the finish. We're just this is part of me working your neck. Is <laughs> this pile driver to the outside on this I very guess, thin mat? I, yeah, and I and I guess you could. I guess it's it's fair to call it a transition move because from here, like they get back onto the the apron on the outside of the ring, and then from here, then you know, Juna Kama exploder suplexes Mitsuharabasa off the apron to the floor, and at some point, I I don't know. If Masawa, you know, head or shoulders catch the apron, or he just like str- straight straight drops to the floor. What what could you tell from when you were watching this spot? I think he just straight drops to the floor. But uh, either way, I don't. I I wouldn't want to take either of those. They both sound terrible. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't know what the <laughs> same human being would want to yeah. you know, take take those moves. But I mean, this is the, the, the one of the four pillars. They they're they're all into like being masochists and, and destroying their body. <laughs> Dude, I uh, I love this spot so much because of the struggle. The first time I saw it, I literally yelled because it looks like Masawa's not going to let it happen. And you think Masawa's not going to let it happen because you think Masawa's the same person. But then, like, Akiyama just locks it in real quick and hits it. It's amazing. Well, I mean, you know, like you say you love it. Well, like, everyone watching this loves it. You can hear, like, the crowd in Budokan Hall, like, just, you know, getting more and more into the, the dangerous spots and the dangerous the dangerous aspects of the matches as it continues. And, like, these matches, like, you know, moves like this, spots like this, pop the crowd. And they, they you know, they, they, they scare the crowd, I think. But people, like, get an adrenaline rush from being frightened and, like, shocked and, and, and things like that. So, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, like, you know, this kind of abuse that Misawa takes I think, you know, eventually leads to his, you know, his death down the line because like he's, he's taken so much, you know, punishment to his body throughout the years leading up to, you know, when he dies that, you know, like he can't maintain control of his body and he can't do the kind of like, you know, exercises like neck, neck exercises that might've prevented his death. Well, now the spot's sad to me. This <laughs> is, no, I don't think it's <laughs> this particular. It, obviously, it's, it's cumulative, but you know, like <laughs> you know, like we, you know, but it's the thing. Like we're thrilled, like as wrestling fans, a lot of us are thrilled by the danger of these these kinds of spots, and like that's kind of something that you know, for good or bad, you know, like you know, all Japan pro wrestling, King's Road style, like kind of brought into the the, the mainstream consciousness of of wrestling, not just in Japan, but in North America as well, because like you have this era of, of wrestlers in the two thousands 
like in particularly like say ring of honor who you know want to emulate this and want to drop each other on their heads and necks and and you know know, like as far as i can recall top to the best of my knowledge i don't think anyone's died in in recent years from this you know like in north america especially but you know the, the danger is is always there ed that's very true. It's, I think, yeah, I think, I don't know, man. I'm not the safety police. I'm definitely not one of those type of wrestling fans where I need everything to be super safe. But, uh, well, I'm saying like it excites people, you know? Oh, you yeah. Mean? No, it's definitely like I'm, a, I'm an admitted deathmatch ghoul. Like, I love deathmatch wrestling too. And it's very much that same thing. Like, the adrenaline rush of watching somebody do that shit is pretty amazing. So, like, from here, from this spot, like, you know, Akiyama, you know, uh, starts keeping, you know, keeps up the assault on Masao's necks with these kind of backhammer fists and some elbows. And then he hits a DDT before he locks in what kind of looks like, you know, Kensuke Sasaki's stranglehold gamma, like this kind of neck neck hold that he uses his arms. And, and like, he's also great finding uh, one of Masao's arms. It, it looks kind of painful. It's not something that, like, you know, I don't think it's something like Akiyama does a lot in his matches, but, like, he's he's telling the story. Like, I'm going after this guy's neck. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weaken it to the point where I hit one of my big moves, and it's going to keep him down for the three count. The first time I saw that move, it blew my mind because I was positive that I invented it in like backyard wrestling when I was in like ninth grade. Oh, you invented a stranglehold like I swore I did because I didn't know any of that stuff. But yeah, the first time I saw that, I was like, huh. That's, well, I, I'm not sure, as clever as I thought. I'm sure there's a lot of 11 year olds out there who think they invented like maybe the Death Valley Driver or or like uh, the super kick, you know, like I'm talking about now in 2020. I'm sure there's like kids out there who've never seen like a super kick. Strange as that might sound, like maybe I, I invented this thrust kick to the face. Oh my God, I'm going to call it a super kick. Eh, it's been around for a while, kid. You know, you're, you're about like 30 years too late to invent it. But anyways, uh, moving on, Masawa you know, is in this move, but he's, he's thankfully able to reach the ropes, but you know, he's been, he was actually just kind of like a rest hold part of the match. It's, it's kind of like slowing the match down a bit to like, I think to give the fans some time to breathe and to kind of like bring themselves down from that explorer suplex off the apron. Yeah. Or to give Masawa a moment to breathe. And... Well, yeah, like it, it, it's beneficial for everyone in the, in, in the <laughs> building, you know, Masawa, for Akiyama and, and for the fans in the audience as well. Um, but Akiyama continues with more strikes to Masawa's neck. And then uh, he goes for a figure four head scissors. Um, again, like I think it's also like he's got a, he's kind of preparing to reach the crescendo of the match. And he's like, he's, he's giving Masawa time to rest a bit as well. Um, from here, event, Akiyama eventually goes for a sleeper hole, but Masawa drives him backwards into a corner. And I love this part of the match. This is like, so Masawa drives him into the corner. He breaks a hold and then he fires off this vicious looking elbow to Akiyama's face and then follows up with a, with a step up drop kick again to Akiyama's face. And it's like, I, I think at this point, like maybe Ak- Masawa is a little pissed off. <laughs> and a punishment he's been taking in in this match from Akiyama. And, and this is when Akiyama gets that like slight nosebleed, right? I th- and I think that comes a little bit later. Okay. It, it it I think before when I was taking notes that I thought the same thing, but I think it comes a a little bit later. Uh from here, you know, th- this this for Misawa is 
you know, the spot where he's able to take control of the match and he locks in his own like signature face lock, a move that has defeated Jumbo Saruta. But you know, at this point now it's, it's, it's kind of like a transition hold, but the way he transitions from like his left and right arms, applying the face lock to Akiyama, my God, he really wrenches it in. I, I imagine he like, you know, Akiyama has got kind of a rash uh, or some kind of like burn afterwards. You know, <laughs> like when he's out drinking and stuff, he's probably like, Oh, give me some ice for my face, man. That like, he, he really did a number on there. Yeah. Masawa is really like, I, I, I they're friendly, right? Akiyama and Masawa because like, yeah, Masawa was really, really cranking at that neck. And it's it almost like he doesn't like this human. I mean, he does that to like, you know, <laughs> think of all the punishment he, him and Kabashi, you know, put each other through. But they they were like the best of friends. So it's wrestling. People, I, I always feel like the people who hit hit each other the most in, in wrestling matches are probably the people who are the, the closest to each other. Yeah, it's like the old Benoit Jericho thing. Like, hit me as hard as you want as long as it's not in the face. Uh, or I mean, like anyone, like you know, like anything, and anyone in wrestling, like if you're my best friend, is gonna hit me the hardest. Is gonna hit me harder than anyone else. Like look at yeah, for example, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, they beat the shit out of each other, but they're like the best of friends. Yeah, it's like uh, Kali and Tommy Dreamer. They had a lot of respect for each other, so he let Kali really lay it in there. Kali, yeah, <laughs> great Kali. Great Kali. Well, that's 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 amazing. Well, I think Tommy Jeremy's just a masochist, right? So, <laughs> general. So, uh, from here, uh, Akiyama reverses his fortunes. Uh, he hits a drop kick uh, to a seated uh, Misawa. So Misawa is seated on the uh, top turnbuckle, and and Akiyama is able to drop. He's obviously going to try some kind of like uh, flying move from here, but you know Akiyama is able to catch Misawa with the top drop kick, and that this just sends Misawa tumbling. Back to the floor again. They spend a lot of time on the floor in this match, Ed. Yeah, they do, which is like uh, pretty shocking for like an all Japan match. You know what I mean? But I mean, like they do. They don't spend an inordinate no, amount of time on in, on the outside. They they do a move and then they go back into the ring. Yeah, they don't like spend an unbelievable amount of time there where you have to like the, you you don't ha- the referee isn't in question. You know what I mean? It's not like a new Japan with red shoes. Where you just have to accept that, like he's just not going to count these people out. No, no. I mean, there there is a danger that the the twenty count could be reached, but but it's it's not something that they want. They want to spend time back in the ring because that's where people can see, you know, the, the action. And like I think that's kind of a philosophy you see in all Japan is that the action, most of the action, has to be in the ring. You can do like spots. You can tell a story outside. Like, you know, where people are doing dangerous moves and, and hitting big, you know, spots and kind of like telling the story. Oh, my God, he's got him on the ropes because he padro him on the on the outside. He, he didn't explode on the outside. He gave him a brain buster on the outside, a power bomb, whatever. But that's like maybe 10 percent of the match. Like 90 percent is is always going to be in the ring. That drop kick, though, he gets some height on. That's pretty dope. I gave it an eight out of 10 on the Okada scale. On the Okada scale? is Yeah. You, know, you mean the... But Akiyama precedes Okada, so it should be Okada's on the Akiyama scale. But, but Okada perfected it. Uh, well, I mean, that's your opinion. Of that's... So anyways, you're my guest, so I'm not going <laughs> to predict your, your opinion there. Um, from here, um, Akiyama hits a jumping knee from the apron to Misawa's face <laughs> and follows up with a knee. So what he does, so Akiyama grabs Misawa kind of by the back of his head, and he places a knee to the back of Misawa's neck. 
And then from the apron, he kind of jumps off the apron. And while at the same time keeping contact with Masao's, you know, like head and neck and drives Masao into the guardrail. So like it, it, when, if you watch this match and, and you know, like it's available on YouTube, I'm going to have the link in the show description that you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. This, this got to suck. Like having not just being like, it's one thing being Irish whipped into guardrail. It's another thing having like a guy who's like, what, maybe minimum 230 pounds, like driving his body weight along with yours into the guardrail. Yeah. And they put a lot of trust into these guardrails doing stuff like that, which I don't think I would because those look really, really flimsy. The guardrails really, I, I tend to think they look pretty, pretty solid. Like I, I prefer them over like American wrestling guardrails. Cause I like, they make a better noise. I think when you get whipped into them, but yeah, they look really shaky. Like I, I have st- like I wouldn't expect it to take. If I was Masawa, I wouldn't expect it to take my weight and Akiyama's weight. Uh, well, I mean, this this spot is like kind of the mark where like they're gonna hit, start going into what I call the crescendo of the match, where they're gonna start hitting their big moves and start going for pinfalls. So if, because from here, Akiyama hits this beautiful looking cradle tombstone pile driver. So think of like you know Jerry Lynn's. Cradle yeah. power driver, but but done in like the tombstone power driver position, like the Undertaker. Uh, from there, he hits a top rope elbow to the back of the neck, and then he goes for his exploder, and he gets a one and a two, and but Masao kicks out, and now this crowd is electric. They are like, you know, they're clapping, they're stomping their feet, they're making. I love that stomping feet sound that Japanese crowds do. Me too, dude. They bit so hard on that first, like, exploder suplex, like, that kick out. Like, that crowd just completely comes alive, and that's when I'm just like, holy shit, I miss, like, wrestling clouds that can, like, yell. Oh, yeah, I mean, but, you know, like, you know, like, I, I, I love people who, who are, you know, vocal in their, in their excitement for a wrestling match, especially at, at, you know, the, the peak periods of it, but to me, like, there's nothing like hearing that you know, the stomping of the feet in, 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 a, in a building the size of like Budokan Hall. I just think it's amazing that that many people are in sync to, to do, you know, the foot stomping to, to get that noise. Is it at Budokan? Is that so I, I like I'm pretty ignorant about Japanese venues. That's the one where like you have to like sit on a pillow, right? Or is that sumo no, no? Hall? That's that's sumo hall. Okay, uh, sumo hall is the where you you have like box seats where you sit. Yeah, on. but for wrestling, you don't get the pillows. They don't do that for wrestling. No, only for sumo. Like not for a garbage sport like professional wrestling. <laughs> you know? So you know the fans. The fans, you gotta you just kind of kind of like you know sit on your ass like on like carpeting for 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 a lot of these shows um people bring like their their own cushions like i've seen that like when i've sat in the box seats at sumo hall like i i just sat on the floor you know and it's not the most comfortable thing i try not to you know i tend to prefer sitting up in the 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 upper levels within the proper seats those are much more comfortable for me i know a lot of people who do like the box seats if you get if it's just you and a friend and you buy out the other two people in the seat you pay double the price. It's a much more comfortable experience. But if you're sharing that box with with like four, like you and three other people, and two of them might not be like your friends, might be strangers. It's it's like it's bad enough. Like everyone else is your friend. It's it's even worse when like there's another group of people who you don't really know, but you have to share the box with them. But anyways, from here, you know, Akama goes for a brainbuster on Masawa, but thankfully for Masawa, he escapes that, and then he hits a face kick. 
and follows up with this vicious looking knee drop to Akiyama's face and 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 then a frog splash, which only gets a two on Akiyama. But I think this this elbow and this I think I think it's the knee drop head. This the knee drop, because that 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 knee drop was pretty vicious, is where Akiyama, you know, gets the bleeding nose. That was a pretty brutal knee drop. Um, from back going back a bit, uh, there's a vicious elbow to the back of Akiyama's head, and then uh, Masao goes for a release German suplex and uh, goes for the pin. But again, only only a two count at this point. It's not it's not one of Masao's deadly finishers, so you, you kind of don't really buy into the fact that it's you know a release German suplex is going to beat Akiyama in this match. Like I I certainly wouldn't think a release German suplex or a regular German suplex suplex is going to defeat like. Misawa or Kobashi or Kawada or Tawe. No, the crowd definitely doesn't pop for the kick out like they did with the exploder for Misawa, and I think that's the reason. They know that like this match definitely isn't gonna end with a bridging German suplex. No. But you know, from this point, Misawa does hit the Tiger Driver and he gets a one, a two, but Akema kicks out and and the crowd does kind of bite into that because you know, like, you know, the, the Tiger Driver doesn't necessarily beat Kawada or Kobashi anymore, but, you know, Akiyama hasn't beat Masao yet, so maybe, maybe it will beat him, but no, it doesn't keep Akiyama down for this match. Uh, Masao goes for a second Tiger Driver, uh, hits it, but again, he Akiyama kicks out at two, and, like, you know, now the crowd's thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, maybe Masao, maybe Akiyama has a chance and they're getting their support for Akiyama is getting a, a little louder for each time that Masao goes for a pinfall on him. Yeah, uh, this is definitely like a, the crescendo, like the crowd's going along with it. Everyone's like peaking all at the same time. And this is just perfect professional wrestling. Oh, it's it's just yeah, it's like the the you're you're biting in. Like I remember the first time I ever watched this match, and and I was just like I was just like oh my god, it's it's is this Akiyama's time? Is this Akiyama's time? Um, from here, like in this match, uh, Misawa hits a rolling elbow, uh, but Akiyama fires back with, you know, his signature move is the Explorer Suplex. He he hits a couple of them to Misawa. Uh, this sequence this sequence takes a toll on on both guys, and like they both kind of try to get up, but they fall back down, and the crowd is just absolutely going fucking ape shit for this because they're just like they don't know who's gonna win ed like and that's the when when professional wrestling is at a point where you don't know who's gonna win and you want you want both guys to win like it's gonna be awesome if either one of them wins then then that's professional wrestling at its best in my opinion yeah can you imagine having it be like vader and kobashi backstage and knowing you have to follow this well, I mean, I would think that Kobashi has the confidence that he can follow it. And like Vader, I think had a very healthy ego. Like he's like, yeah, <laughs> we'll do it. I mean, it's not like I, I don't remember that match exactly, but I, I, I think like, you know, usually Kobashi and Vader had excellent chemistry and like they had good matches. So like, I would assume that they don't, they don't think, yeah, oh, you know, we'll go have our, we'll just go beat the shit out of each other and it'll be just as good as this. But yeah, I think, you know, for Kobashi, he wants Akiyama to have this match. Like he, him and Misawa look at Akiyama and think he's going to be the guy to carry this company. We can take it a little bit easier when he's the ace of the company. So, you know, like for, I think for Kabashi, he's like, yeah, I don't need to be, have a better match than this. Like I'm going to have as best match as I can, but like if Akiyama has a better match than me, awesome. Cause like, that's what the company overall needs. Yeah. He's got a new dude to work with. It's like at his level now. 
Exactly. So it, I, 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 I don't understand like people who want to keep other people down in wrestling. Like I understand why it happens, but <laughs> to me, to me, it's like the more people you, you who are on your level, the more money you can make drawing with them. You know what I mean? Very true. Uh, from here back to the match, there's a, a you know Akama hits a running knee to the side of Masao's head. Just a beautiful looking move, uh, and he goes for another exploiter. But again, one, two, Masao kicks out, and it's like you know this crowd is like just biting on every you know false finish in this match. From here, uh, Akama hits a vertical drop brainbuster, but can't keep Masao down. So you know Akama knows it's time. It's time to bust out. The coup de gras, it's time to bust out the big gun, his super move, the Exploder 98. And and I don't know about you, Ed, are you are you a fan of wrestling video games? Are you a fan of virtual pro wrestling uh too? Absolutely, yes. So you know, like this is probably this and maybe the the, the Tiger Driver 91 are my favorite finishers to hit on people in that game. Oh yeah. I like cause they do the crumple down, you know what I mean? Exactly. And so I think Masawa does the crumple down as well. Uh, so with the Exploder 98, Akiyama drops Masawa straight onto his head. And here, there's a one, there's a two, and there is finally a three. Jun Akiyama has finally beaten Mitsuhara Masawa with his rich, wrist clutch Exploder suplex in 23 minutes and 40 seconds. And, and Ed, what did you think about the finish of this match? It's literally perfect. Like, the closing sequence to this match is as close to perfect professional wrestling as you can get. Like the crowds with everything happening, they like Masawa Nakayama have those people. They're like absolutely biting on everything. And then, yeah, that, that wow, <laughs> just right on his head, right on his fucking head. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. He, he you know, that, that, you know, Masawa, Hey, just, yeah. Explore 98. Drop me on the head. No problem. I've been doing it for like years now. <laughs> the people with a Tiger Driver ninety one. What did you? What do you rate matches? Ed? I I do rate matches. Uh, so I like. I, do you use the five star scale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you give this match? Four and three quarters. Four and three quarters. So I I was a little bit lower. I gave it four point uh, two five. I do think you know the pacing of the match. You know it's fine to slow it down, but I just thought there were maybe you know one too many. Um, like you know trans like breast hold spots in in this match but still awesome and the finishes mwah, chef's kiss for that finish um and and right after like misawa gets the win it's acknowledged he is so ecstatic he has finally beaten mitsuhara misawa he knows like his star is on the rise he knows that you know down the line it's gonna he's gonna beat he's gonna be kawada he's, he's gonna beat Tawe if he hasn't already He's going to be Kobashi and he's probably going to become the triple crown champion. But, you know, like life takes takes a detour for that plan. And and, you know, he he would leave to to go to, you know, Noah with everyone else. And but he does beat Masawa to become the GHC heavyweight champion in Noah. And and I don't know, it's kind of weird because like I, I don't think, you know, Akiyama ever reached the A spot even in pro wrestling, no, when he had the title, I think the greatest ace in, in all Japan was in, in uh, pro wrestling. No, was always Kenta Kobashi. Yeah. It's even, yeah. He goes to a the completely different company with these people. And still like, I think they even tried like harder in Noah to get Akiyama from out of their shadow. And it just, it's really hard to do when the other two people are Mitsuhara Misawa and Kenta Kobashi. 
Yeah, I mean, if people want to see the follow-up in Noah uh, of this particular match, this particular rivalry between Akiyama, so definitely check out the July 27th, 2001 match, which, you know, roughly a year later. And that's where, you know, Akiyama defeats Misawa to become uh, the GHC heavyweight champion. And I got to think, like, if the exodus didn't happen, that that, that would have been for the, the Triple Crown. Like, that maybe Misawa, that would have been Misawa finally saying, okay, I don't have to be the triple crown or the ace of the company. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be June Akiyama. And, and I think if the exodus didn't happen, if everyone stayed in all Japan, that, that Masao would have been more, more likely to phase himself down without feeling the pressure of, of, um, you know, lower attendance if he's not on top, because, um, you know, like, the problem with Noah, as great as it was, is like, you know, is trying to establish a new company and he feels like he has to, you know, he's the, he, him and Kobashi are the faces, are the, are the superstars of Noah. So like we have to, you know, stay on top and there's a lot of pressure there. But I think it would have been less pressure on either of them if they had stayed with All Japan Pro Wrestling. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I could definitely see that happening because Noah, that, that brand, like that company, definitely was on Masawa and Kobashi's shoulders, but All Japan has more of a history behind it and more of a drawing power behind that name. So, yeah, you could do things like put Akiyama on top and phase yourself down because All Japan is a, as a company is a bigger draw. So one thing I thought was interesting is that if you if you look at kind of like the results on on Cage Match um, after this after this particular match, that you know Akiyama actually stops teaming with Kenna Kobashi, like burning is pretty much quietly dissolved. And Akiyama starts teaming with uh, Manakea Mossman, uh, you know, again, the, the guy who would later become Taiokea. Um, and you can see like, you know, Akiyama is going to be the, the senpai, you know, the senior of this, of this, uh, of this team. And that Kea is going to be his like, kind of like, you know, like it's, it's Akiyama, like is going to be Kobashi. Akiyama is going to be Masawa. And now Kea is going to be, you know, the Akiyama to them, you know, like to, to, to Akiyama, he's going to be the Tawe to Akiyama's Kawada. Like he's not necessarily going to be necessarily eating the pins all the time, uh, but he's going to be like kind of the second to, to Akiyama. He's going to be like the, you know, Akiyama's 1A and, and then Taioke is going to be 2A. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like now that you made Akiyama, you can use Akiyama to help other people out. Yeah, so like, you know, Mossman, Taiokea is going to be the guy that gets the rub from teaming with Akiyama. And I, I do think like the plan was to like, like, I'm a big fan of Taiokea. I, I think he had so much potential in, in 19, you know, 19, uh, 1999, 2000. Like he was going to get there, I think. And and I think, you know, he had a nice career in, in post Exodus All Japan wrestling, pro wrestling. Um, I think he him and Akiyama were had really good chemistry for the sh- short time that they were teaming. But, you know, like I said at the earlier on, like is, is Akiyama, Mossman, Omori, Takiyama were the guys that I think Masai was looking at to really, you know, join the main event scene in, in all Japan pro wrestling. And, and, you know, he would give these guys like Omori and Takiyama the, a kind of a, a big push, especially Takayama. Takayama became like a superstar. I would say mainly because of his involvement in, in legit MMA and, and just getting the beat, shit beat out of him by Don Fry and a bunch <laughs> of other people. But still, like I mean, this guy became a star in professional wrestling in the in the two thousands. Yo, I've shown people Fry and uh, Takayama that aren't like wrestling fans or MMA fans at all, and every time they're really horrified by it. 
Yeah, I I don't enjoy. Like, I remember watching it like a couple of times when you know right after it happened, and I'm just like, like now I probably like think, uh, yeah, because like it it took its toll on Pacquiao. I remember watching like I think I had a an all a New Japan show on DVD that I bought from a tape trader, and and like part of that tape had like this kind of mini documentary following Yoshihiro Takayama between shows. And like he gets to his hotel room and like the camera crew's right there and they're just watching him unpack all his pills that he has to take. It's it's just all these like different kinds of painkillers that he's measuring out. Like, oh, I have to take two of these right now. This is for tomorrow. And it's it's just really sad. You know, like there's one thing about being what did you say earlier? The safety police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's another thing about like just being a compassionate human being like at the end of the day these these people are human beings it's one thing to see them take big moves but it's another thing to watch someone in their hotel room like dealing with the effects of like that that wrestling has taken on him it's like or a real fighting has taken on him like you see like he's basically got a pharmacy like laid out on his like in his hotel room like of what he has to take to, to deal with the pain that he's in god you gotta think like how much money was he making to be able, like to put up with that? You know what I mean? Oh, I mean, like <laughs> he was making shitload of money because, like, yeah, he, was in, sure. he was in demand. He was like everyone, every like didn't matter. Like he was a freelancer, primarily working for Noah. Like New Japan was like, hey, you want to work for us? Okay, he went there, and then he did. He would do MMA where you know he would just be a tomato can, right? Like he's the one getting he, you know, he's getting beat, but like, hey. He's a star. He's a star because he gets beat up by legit fighters. And there you go. Like that, that, that made Takayama, like he's really like, if you think about it, he's kind of like the Mick Foley of Japan, right? Like you, you obviously referenced Mick Foley earlier as a guy who got you into professional wrestling as a fan. Takayama, like, you know, is kind of like the Mick Foley. Like he, he was more well-known for getting beat up rather than being a, you know, a winner in my opinion. Oh yeah, that's definitely the McFoley story. Is like how good of an ass kicking he could take. So like Takama is like the same way. But anyways, yeah. it's it's kind of on a, a tangent here. But the the point being, like Akiyama, Mossman, Omori, Takama were probably going to get elevated in the next you know two to three years in in all Japan pro wrestling if if things didn't go the way they did. But they went the way they did, and and that didn't happen. And then we have the exodus, you know, several months down the line. Um, overall, like, you know, what what are your thoughts about that that split? Um, I think it was I, it was definitely better for everybody. No, nah, never mind. All Japan, pretty much. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> it was definitely better for Masawa and like Kobashi and everybody that left. Uh, I was trying to think when he said like, uh, Taiokea benefited. From like sticking around, right? Who else do like Kawada and Taiokea, and who else do you think like? Um, initially, like Johnny Smith got a push as a, as Taiokea's tag team partner. They won the tag team titles, but it, it's no one. No one's really bended. Like Tenru, he comes back. Um, he gets a triple crown because you know Kawada is is positioned to do all the inter promotional stuff with New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, like, from a, I, I would hope from a financial standpoint that that Kawada gets a lot of money from doing like the matches with Kinsuke Saki and Tokyo Dome on New Japan cards. And, you know, but like, you know, Tenru becomes, I think Tenru becomes the booker of the company and he's, you know, he's placed as the triple crown champion because he's not going to do any jobs to like 
or have any draws with guys from New Japan. So it's, you know, he's the safe bet. And then, but it doesn't take off until like, you know, Keiji Muto comes into the company and then pretty much, you know, like all the things that Muto did, like that Mrs. Baba allowed him to do, baffle my mind because it's like, if you let Masawa, like, you know, pro wrestling Noah isn't that different from what all Japan pro wrestling is. You know, yeah. Just it just had a it just had a better junior division. That's that's the only difference is that you had actually good junior heavyweight talents in in the company, and that's the the thing that sets Noah apart from the previous you know like All Japan Pro Wrestling. But like it, it I don't understand like what Mr. Baba thought Masao was going to do that was going to change so much. Obviously, well, actually, a lot of it has to do with like the, the behind the scenes stuff, like giving people like making them actually employees. You know, like treating the, the wrestlers, like giving them health benefits, like better ones that they already had. That Those are the kind of things that like, you know, Mrs. Baba was not for that Misawa wanted to do. So it's, but like creatively, I don't think there was really that much that he did in Noah that was very different from the way Baba booked All Japan. Nah, pretty much just the green ring and like uh, that cool entrance set with fire in the Tokyo Dome. There you go. Yeah, the, the fire is always a good thing in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, not so much in in a, in a smaller building, but in, in a big building like Tokyo Dome, no problem. Well, uh, before yeah, let's let's wrap things up at this point. I, like I think we we've exhausted the uh, the the points that we can talk about with with Akiyama Misawa. You went four and three quarters. I went four and a quarter on this, but like yeah, it's a difference of like what uh you know, a, a quarter, right? So uh, we're not far off in how we think about this match. Uh, anything to plug it? Yeah. Check keep out- in mind, this is uh, not coming out till uh, January. Perfect. Okay. So uh, check out Pod Van Dam. By the time this comes out, we will be on dropping episodes on Tuesdays. Unless uh, you're part of our Patreon is patreon.com slash Pod Van Dam. Five bucks and get the show a day early. And then uh, I do, a couple non-wrestling podcasts, like I do this one called Super Chantastic that goes over the history of internet personality Chris Chan. And uh, I'm doing some rest, uh, writing for Voices of Wrestling, doing pro wrestling heat-up reviews. So Oh, awesome. That's, that's great. And, uh, of course, our our good friends, uh, Rich and Joe, over at pro wrestling, uh, VoicesOfWrestling.com are, uh, you know, they're they're always like uh, doing uh, wonderful things over at that site, and a big fan of them as well. Support Voices of Wrestling, support Pod Van Dam Patreon as well. Uh, I gotta I gotta plug the the next episode of uh, the Long and Winding Royal Road here, Ed. Like episode eight will be our next biography show. Uh, it will be uh, a biography episode on Toshiaki Kawada, and and my guests. I've already lined up the guests for that. It will be uh, Dylan Fox from the Eastern Lariat, one of the biggest Kawada fans that I know. So he and I will be laying down maybe, maybe a two hour show, two hour plus show, maybe all about the man in the black and the yellow Toshiaki Kawada. So look out for that. That's dropping in, in February of 2021 and already 2021 maybe is, is looking better than 2020. If we're going to have me and me and Dylan talking about one Toshiaki Kawada yeah, look, I can't wait to listen to that. Like, Kawada and Tawe are admittedly my blind spots in all Japan. So, stoked for well, that. I, I hope people get to learn a lot. Like, I'm going to do my research. I know Dylan's already digging into, like, 
his his knowledge about Kawada. So look out for that. And, and Ed, I want to thank you for joining me here on the Long and Winding Road Road. Thank you for picking this match. It's it's a match that I I really enjoyed uh, watching again and, and, and taking notes for and, and talking with you about. And uh, and I want to thank all the uh, the listeners for uh, you know saying nice things about the episodes that have come out already and and supporting the show on social media. And until next time, I will say goodbye. Thank you.